You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. With me on Max's Island today is Natalia Hodgins. Hi, Natalia. Welcome to the island. Thank you very much for having me, Tony. It's a pleasure to be here. Natalia, all our guests, when they come to the island, we give them the opportunity to tell that story, that point in time where they did something for themselves, really followed that dream, left the world behind, did something that they really wanted to, or just life got in the way. Do you have a time when you did something that you'd always dreamt of? Oh, absolutely. I, I do have a time where I um, made a dream come true. And it was when I was, I just turned 30 and I moved to New York City to work for the Australian Consulate. And that had been a dream for a long time to work overseas or particularly New York? Oh, particularly New York. So New York had been my dream since I was a teenager and, you know, like so many people, I grew up watching TV shows and movies set in the city. Uh, and it was, it, was, it was probably the number one thing on my bucket list. And a lot of people knew that about me. They were like, oh, yes, you know, Natalia, you know, she, she wants to go and live in New York. That's her thing. <laughs> and had you been there before on holidays? Oh, yeah. So, uh, okay. <laughs> so you knew it well. Oh, yes. Um, so every chance I got, I tried to get over there. You know, and it's quite a trek from Perth where we live. So um, that was no mean feat. So by the time I'd moved, I'd, I'd visited there three times. Yeah, yeah. So you knew your way around. You knew the vibe. Yeah, I knew, knew exactly where I wanted to live. <laughs> mm. What time of the year did you go over? I moved over in March. So perfect timing in terms of the weather. It was, you know, they were just coming out of winter and heading into that steaming hot New York summer. And... Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's really rare for a dream that you've built up over so many years to uh, meet your expectations. But that's exactly what happened with me in New York. Like I had this amazing dream about living in this magical city. And then when I got there, it was even better than I had imagined it would be. It was just amazing. And I had this fantastic job, you know, I got to work with people I really admired. I met people like Julia Gillard and Malcolm Turnbull. So I, I just, I was absolutely living the dream and loving it. And you were living in Manhattan? Yes. So I managed to find a 
beautiful share apartment in Soho oh, through wow. friends of friends. So I was very lucky. Um, you know, I moved to that city, you packed up my bags, moved by myself, city of 9 million people and I knew no one, but I met some amazing people really quickly and yeah, managed to score an apartment in Soho. So. And where was the Australian consul? The Australian consulate is right in the heart of New York, the middle of Midtown. And just to paint a bit of a picture, if you work for the Australian consulate, you will end up sitting in their lunchroom, which faces directly across from the Empire State Building. So you sit there eating your lunch, staring at the Empire State. And if you walk to the other end of the building, you've got a beautiful view of the Chrysler Building, which is across the road. So, you know, just you're just surrounded by New York icons. <laughs> and did you get a chance to really absorb New York life? Oh, I did. I squeezed as much as I possibly could out of my time in New York. Um, I'm a bit of a arts and culture fanatic. So every chance I got, I was at the theatre, I was seeing musicals, I was seeing live music, you know, and there every night of the week in New York, there's just like a million things to do and 20 million events. And, you know, I just took advantage of it. I went to the opening of, them, of an envelope, basically. <laughs> Only glamorous envelopes in New York, but, you know, any event I would go to. So I absolutely did. Yeah. And did you get to see Times Square on New Year's Eve? Oh, I actually completely avoided New Year's Eve in New York. I think that Times Square is one of those things that um, is great if you're a tourist, but if you live there, you get the memo in advance that it's not the place to be. So I exited stage left and I actually um, went to Berlin <laughs> for do. New Year's Eve to avoid all those tourists. <laughs> and how long were you in New York working? Oh, just under 18 months. So um, I, yeah, I had a good chunk of time there. And I had some really incredible experiences. I remember um, going along to a movie premiere once. So it was Lion, the movie that was filmed in Australia with Dev Patel and snagged an invite to that through my job at the consulate. You know, and just the stuff that you'd never even dream of. So, you know, I found myself standing next to Nicole Kidman and Bill Clinton sitting in the aisle across from me and just sitting there going, you know, what even is this life that I've landed in? It was surreal. It was really surreal. Yeah. And did you spend a lot of your time around Australians through the consulate or <laughs> yes I did yeah. <laughs> so the saving grace was that I lived in a a multicultural house <laughs> um, and when I say that I mean I lived with an American and a Briton so I did get to meet some lovely Americans through my housemates but I I did spend a huge amount of time with the Australian community in New York because of my job and that was great I mean the thing about that is that a city like New York is filled with interesting people with a story. You're in the business of storytelling. And I think through my job, I got to tell a lot of those stories, people who were doing, you know, Australians who were doing really incredible work in New York. I got to meet them and talk to them. And part of my job was to share their stories. So it was really a dream come true. Yeah, dream gig. And... Why did it finish in New York? Uh, well, not by choice. Uh, certainly not by choice. So the dream for me turned into a nightmare. I caught a virus and I was exposed to toxic mould. And that combination of things uh, triggered 
an illness in me. Um, I got sick and I just didn't get better. Had you been ill before? You know, had you had, you know, during your childhood, teenage years, ever suffered with any diseases or any issues? No, I was perfectly healthy. I'd never had any issues before. So it, it really just came out of the blue. And for me, it was really confusing and scary. I started to have all these strange symptoms um, that I couldn't quite put together. Uh, it was it was really like I just got sick and didn't get better. I kept expecting things to resolve, like one week, you know, two weeks later, three weeks later, uh, and and it, yeah, it was like I got the flu and just never recovered from it. I remember sitting on the subway riding into work a couple of weeks after this had all started happening and I had a panic attack because it was 9am in the morning and I felt completely exhausted already even though I'd just gotten up after sleeping for like eight hours and you know I was so short of breath that I could hardly breathe so it was a really scary time and I didn't know what was going on. You hear lots of stories around the American medical environment how did you navigate that? Look, I don't think it was anything specific about the American medical environment that was a challenge for me. I did what any other person would do and took myself off to the GP and they referred me on to a specialist and they did a whole bunch of tests on me and the test results came back and they said, look, um, there's nothing wrong. We've run all these tests. Uh, absolutely nothing wrong with you. Um, here's the proof. You're perfectly healthy. And I sat there and said, well, that's not right. Like your tests aren't correct because I am explaining to you what's happening to me physically in my body. And they said, no, no, you're just anxious. You're a perfectly healthy young woman. This is all in your head. You're just being, you know, anxious about it. And that was the first time that I'd had my lived experience of something that was happening to me that I was very clear on and very sure of, uh, just dismissed out of hand by healthcare professionals. And I didn't know it at the time, but it would happen to me again and again, both in America and in Australia once I moved home. So over an 18 month period of trying to find out what was happening to my health, I would see over 30 different doctors and medical practitioners. And I'd see, you know, GPs and specialists. And then I ended up with naturopaths and other alternative practitioners. And either my experience of what was happening to my body would be denied and dismissed, or it was like they just had no understanding of what was actually happening to me and so they couldn't help me and that was equal parts terrifying and infuriating the being dismissed part it was it was really scary so you're in new york you've got this illness that the, doc, the medical fraternity are saying ah it's okay you're going to get over it you'll be fine you've got this sense that things aren't fine that must have felt really, you must have felt very vulnerable to be in that space, not knowing what to do. 
Oh, yeah. I think it's one thing to be overseas, living a big, exciting life when you're healthy, but to be there in a city with no family, you know, and some wonderful friends, but people who you'd only known for max, you know, a year, uh, that was terrifying. And I felt very alone at that point. And, and so I came home. So I came home thinking that I would only be in Perth for a month six weeks max, and I would fix whatever was wrong with me, and then I would go back. So you took sick leave from work, basically? Well, I was in the process of changing jobs. So I actually came home, and I was going to use that trip home to to change over my visa. So I'd had a job offer from someone else, and I was about to move. And yeah, I came home and thought, I'll get my visa, I'll fix whatever's happening, and I'll be back there in a hot second. But that didn't happen. So why did that not happen? My health just kept deteriorating. So So this is while you're in Australia? Yeah. Back at home, just rapidly getting worse. And I think the most terrifying thing was how my weight plummeted during this time. Uh, So I was 58 kilos when I uh, was healthy or before I got sick. And I'm 5'7". So that's a pretty normal healthy weight to be. In the space of you know, six months, I lost 20 kilos. Uh, I did not have 20 kilos to lose. So at my lowest point, I was 38 kilos, which is skeletal. uh, And it felt like I was going to snap into, it was a horrible feeling. And what were the doctors saying about that massive weight loss? Look, uh, the doctor narrative changed as I lost weight. So up to the point where I was about, you know, 42, 43 kilos, it was all about it being in my head and me being anxious and that type of thing. After that point, they started to get scared as well. And so the narrative very much switched to um, me potentially having an eating disorder or something like that, which wasn't the case at all. Like I had lots of, I have had lots of issues with my gastrointestinal system as part of my disease, but uh, I was always eating, certainly wasn't, you know, starving myself or doing anything on purpose. The weight would just fall off me overnight. At no stage did any doctor or, or medical professional think they had a solution? No, they didn't. And not one that made any sense to me based on my experience of what was happening to my body. So tests and things, there was no consistency of of outcomes? No. I mean, at the time, it just blew my mind that I could be that sick and no one could help me. I now know a lot more about how our medical system and healthcare systems are broken in certain ways. And when I say that, I know that there are many things that they're brilliant at, but what they are not good at is helping people with complex chronic health conditions. And I think there's very little awareness of that. And given we live in such a rich and lucky country, I think it's really sad that we we allow people to fall through that gap the way that I did. You know, there's no safety net for those people when they need help the most. Did you feel that they were listening to you? Look, uh, eventually I found an integrative doctor who was able to stabilise my health. And that's probably the first time I felt 
really heard uh, when I was working with that doctor. Uh, He couldn't fix me, but he helped me to stabilize some of my symptoms. And after a period of working with him, I did gain back 10 kilos, which was amazing. But to put that in perspective, it took, you know, 18 months to two years. And it took me spending $100,000 of my own money out of pocket to get to that point where someone was able to help me, which is, I mean, that's just, that's insane. So that's, you're talking two years since you came back from the US. Yeah, all of 2017 and all of 2018 were a complete nightmare. The dream of living in New York must have seemed like a fairy tale from a bygone era. Absolutely. That's a very uh, that's a very good description of how it felt. It felt, I think as well, because New York had always been my dream and it was so wonderful for me when I went there. There was this real dream versus nightmare state over that period of time where when I came back and I got so sick and it was all so traumatic, it really just felt like I was trapped in a nightmare and I couldn't wake up. And I have some like, you know, very brief journal entries from that time that kind of talk about that or where I've articulated that, where it's like, when is this going to end? (laughs) I don't know how much more I can take. Yeah. You mentioned spending $100,000. That seems unheard of in Australia to have to spend that sort of money out of your own pocket with our healthcare system, with our um, private health cover, all of those things. That tells me that there are a lot of people that you engage with that really didn't have a clue of what they were, of what was wrong with you or, or even how to acknowledge what you may have had or, or treat you. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, I got, I've moved through a number of different diagnoses and some of those overlap with the eventual one that I was given. But the one that stuck around is uh, that I have MECFS, which stands for myalgic encephalomyelitis, and which is more commonly known as chronic fatigue syndrome. So that's a complex and disabling illness that has a really bad reputation because of its name. It's got a really bad brand problem. And it is really poorly understood by the medical community. Uh, There's a lot of stigma and bias surrounding it. Uh, It's had a really tainted history. And so, you know... Our doctors don't learn very much about it in medical school. Very little is invested into it from a research perspective. There is no diagnostic marker. So it's very much a diagnosis by exclusion. Uh, There's no test for it and there are no treatment options. So they didn't know what was happening to me because they don't know much at all about this disease. So was a lot of the expenditure tests to determine what it wasn't then? Yeah, and And also a lot of the expenditure was just, you know, once something happens, once you're in a position where you are in that complex, chronically ill space where you're really sick and the regular avenues that you as a human being 
expect will help you aren't helping you. So, you know, we grow up and we learn that when you get sick, you go to the doctor, the doctor gives you something and they make you better. If you get really sick, you go to hospital and they will make you better. When you get really sick and you go and see those people and you figure out pretty quickly that they have no idea what's going on with you, you start to look more broadly than that. And that leads you to functional doctors, you know, doctors overseas who are charging $500 an hour type thing because because they can and because they're based in cities like the US where that is acceptable. And you, you just don't have any choice. Like one of those doctors did help me. So do I regret spending that money? No, but uh, I wish I hadn't had to. I wish that uh, medicine knew more about what was happening to me so that they could help me. I'm really interested to understand when you went to New York, you're there on, on a, an adventure looking forward, but there are lots of unknowns, but you're embracing those as part of that adventure and with a positive mindset. 18 months later, you're in a similar situation that you don't know but you can't plan, you can't explore, you can't aspire to do things. You're just trying to find solutions. That must have been unbelievably frustrating to go from one environment where there's this blue sky, anything can happen, to this very narrow focus of saying, I need to find out just something. Yeah, so I think that's, you know, it's, it's a good juxtaposition and it's a interesting comment because it was certainly like that for me. It felt like that. It felt like there was this big mystery that was stopping me from living my life and I had to solve it. And so it was very much a search for answers um, and it did consume me. I mean, what else are you going to do when something like that is happening to you? there is nothing else to do but to consume yourself with trying to solve the problem. And I very much, I'm a very determined person and I did apply myself in a similar way. I was like, we are going to crack this to an extent. And I was uh, through, you know, pure grit and determination, I did find people eventually who were able to stabilize me. I don't know what happens if you don't have the means to do that. I don't know what happens if you don't have perhaps the problem-solving mindset to do that. I, I don't know what happens to you then. I don't even want to think about it really. But yeah, it went from feeling like the world was my oyster to feeling like uh, – to just feeling black and bleak. Uh, and it was very – look – hugely traumatizing time incredibly challenging um and it's taken a lot of work for me personally to process all of that and to move forward from it and to start thinking about a future and was it contributing to other medical conditions were you having secondary problems yes but nothing major like nothing that was i mean yes absolutely um there were lots of issues going on. And I think when your health condition is that complex, I mean, ME-CFS in itself is a multi-system disease. So 
Yeah, for sure. It affects so many different areas of your body. It's your, it's not just your energy, it's your gastrointestinal system, it's immune dysfunction, it's your autonomic nervous system, all of that is affected. So it's kind of a hard one to answer because the way I got sick was that several systems in my body got sick. It wasn't that one organ or one area of my body became ill. And I think that's part of the problem because medicine is so siloed. It's hard for them to, it's hard for them to work with a disease like that, that affects so many different systems. Mm. And what about mentally? How challenging was that? You said you're, I know you're a positive person. You, um, very intelligent, understand the world, are, are very worldly. How did you cope with being so focused on a single issue for so long? I don't know. I really don't know. I think that uh, you just do what you have to do to get by and you take one day at a time. Uh, I don't have an answer for that. I know that I got sick and I didn't get better and you know, two years down the track when the when the immediate threat had passed and I wasn't so focused on surviving, I think I then made some really key moves to shift my life and to shift my thinking. And I think that is really important. But how I got through those two years, I'm not quite sure. I, I just did. I just survived. Yeah. Thanks for being on the island today. There is so much more to Natalia's amazing story. In the next episode, you'll hear how Natalia continues to acknowledge her disability, chooses the way she lives her life, and most importantly, what is planned for the future. We'll see you on the island soon. Oh, work and no play, and how, how it turned out this way. Short-term escape, five weeks on the bibbling track Go it alone, no one to blame If he finished or fell by the way No one's an island, but sometimes it's good to pretend
Every sense was engaged, his mind was as clear as the sky. Completely alone, no emails or phone. 